what's the biggest mindset block you're encountering and how do you kick it to the curb? Hi, welcome to another episode of Business Mindset Mastery. I'm Heather Gray. I'm a mindset and performance coach. I work with business owners, leaders, and entrepreneurs. You can always find out more about me over at choosetohaveitall.com. And today I want to start a conversation with you. Somebody asked me the other day when I was telling them about what I did for work, um, just ask the basic question, what do you think the biggest mindset block is that gets in the way of business owners getting the businesses they want? Like, What's the number one thing that you seem to treat? And it was easy for me to start, you know, immediately going to the cliche answer of imposter syndrome, this idea of feeling like we're not good enough, who will buy from us? There's all, you know, there's always somebody else selling something better, doing it better, showing up better, et cetera, et cetera. And it was such an easy out of an answer. And that's how I answered it. And ever since the question's been asked and I answered it, it I've just kind of been mulling it in my mind. And I think I call BS on my own answer. I don't think imposter syndrome is the biggest mindset block that people have. I just think it's the most sort of socially acceptable business problem to have. I think a lot of people, and I've talked about this in terms of anxiety too, that anxiety sometimes becomes the most socially acceptable mental illness to have. So every thought, feeling, action that feels a little dysfunctional, a little unhealthy can kind of get, you know, filtered through the anxiety lens. I think the same is true when it comes to mindset and imposter syndrome that everybody can kind of go, oh, imposter syndrome, of course. Yeah, that has to be it. Of course, that's what it is. But you know what? I don't think it is. I think the biggest mindset block we have is ourselves and the stories we tell ourselves about what we are allowed and what we are capable of. So much of the work that I do with people comes down to a word, permission. Have we given ourselves permission to grow, to change, to want something different, to want something more, to say that good is not enough, to have the hard conversations, to identify our needs, to land and stand in our truth. It comes down to permission. Imposter syndrome is like this offshoot of that concept because imposter syndrome, like permission, puts the lens on other people, on what they might be thinking about us, how they might be reacting to us, what they think we should be doing, what they've decided is good enough, what they've decided is worthy. And it's so much more of a comfortable place to be if we can take the lens and put it on other people rather than take the lens and look at some hard truths and have some hard conversations with ourselves. You know, one of the things that I've talked about, and I've sort of been really clear on the show, is that the cross-country move I made in December to California changed me. It changed me permanently. And in, when somebody, you know, if somebody were to ask me to define it in a sentence, I would say that my potential is only limited by how big I'm willing to dream. When I was back in Boston, I didn't imagine a world that I could be happy in, that I could be content in without my people. 
I didn't think it was possible that if I couldn't see my friend on a weekend for coffee, whenever I darn well pleased, that I would have a life worth living. It, it just didn't feel possible. My lens ended. My potential ended. My story about how good life could be ended with my people. And at the time, I embraced that. I thought it was because I gave all this time and attention to my relationships. I thought it was because I I was a people person and I had really leaned into my relationships and I had built a tribe and I had worked on my marriage and I had shown up for people and the payoff for that and the gift that came from that and the fulfillment that comes from that came from those relationships. It was inconceivable to me that I could be happy without them. My potential and my story about myself and how my life could be ended with my people and kept me in New England. I wouldn't have gone any further or bigger or bolder if I was keeping myself attached to the leash that I was only capable of being happy so long as I was at least two hours or less away from my friends and family. That story I had about myself, I had it for years. Uh, it, it changed like where I looked for jobs. It changed the pressure I put on my husband throughout his medical journey when he was looking at residencies and fellowships. Like so much of that process is largely out of our control, but I would say if any way possible, like, please don't make it so we have to move. Don't make it so that, like, I have to leave my people and I have to close my business because it was just such a core part of my identity, even, that I was nothing without my people. And I didn't give myself permission for that not to be true. And because I didn't give myself permission for that not to be true, it didn't become true for me until I was forced to change it. That I actually am significantly capable as an individual to maintain relationships beyond a two-hour distance, that I am somebody who can live in a new environment, that can pick up and land in a new place and really enjoy the fruits of the labor, of the hard work, and of that experience. But if you had talked to me in November when I was shaken in my shoes about this move, when I was resenting the absolute hell out of my husband for creating a situation where this was going to be necessary, I never would have believed you because I was too married to my story of who I was and what I was capable of. And that is what so many of you listening to to me today are stuck at. This limiting story of how much you're capable of, of what you are worth, of what you deserve, and what you can seek to find and grow and attain for yourself. So many people lean on their historical versions of themselves, just like I did. They, they sort of say, this is the way I've always been. This is how I've always done it. Or they set a series of goals and, you know, one by one, they check off all the boxes and suddenly they say, well, that's good enough. Who am I to want more? So when I successfully closed my brick and mortar practice and was able to match and then later within two years exceed the income that I had made with my brick and mortar practice, 
In an online business, who was I to want more or to ask for more or to try to change what I currently had when I'm already working independently, having the opportunity to work internationally with people across several different countries and several different time zones? Who am I to want more or to think that there could be more out there for me? It comes down to permission. It comes down to because I am capable, I owe it to myself to go after more. Who am I to limit my talents, to limit my skills, my ability to reach and transform just because it didn't occur to me that I could do more? So I want you to think about the goals you have for yourself. When you think about what you want to accomplish Have you limited the lens? If we look at this literally as a camera lens, have you scanned that lens as wide as it possibly could go? And have you shown yourself a willingness to buy and invest in a new lens that allows you to go even wider? The idea of going after a dream, of making a goal, of seeking something out, is so terrifying for people that they zoom in the lens about what's what's what they're capable of and what they're capable of achieving for themselves because when we grow it creates sometimes a a discomfort for people in our relationships Um, one of the examples that kind of comes to mind in my own relationship is this online business of mine has brought more opportunities for travel for me, more speaking opportunities, more networking opportunities in terms of conference. You know, when I was a clinical social worker in Massachusetts, all of my, you know, continuing education credits and everything were state specific. So they were always in Massachusetts. So as I started traveling more, my husband had the conversation with me about like, how far is this going to take you? Like, how often are you going to be away from home? How much travel do you see in your future because suddenly it was a new a new thing a new entity a new anomaly in our relationship that neither of us had you know sort of encountered or it hadn't really occurred to us and suddenly we were sitting in front of a hard conversation because yes he's going to miss me yes it's inconvenient for him when I'm gone and yes he prefers us to be together and to go away together rather than to be separate but also yes he supports me and no he doesn't want to hold me back and yes he wants me to have all of these opportunities opportunities for myself. So how do we navigate that? So many people, that conversation, it's awkward as hell. It's uncomfortable. You don't know where it's going. So many people would keep themselves limited to whatever state in town they're in for fear of having that conversation, for fear of not wanting to rock the boat. Or if we look at the idea of the responsibility that comes with success, the idea that if we are bosses and we're managing other people, we're suddenly responsible for other people. The idea that wealth in itself and income comes with a sense of responsibility and a sense of ownership that we have to be in control of what we do and how we make our choices. And the idea that when we are successful, other people in our lives are going to see that and create stories about it. 
recently I, I shared with you earlier in the week that my husband and I came back from a weekend in Big Sur, California, and it was gorgeous. And I found myself hesitating to to post my pictures on social media, um, mostly because I'm a little tired of social media and you've heard me talk about that too. But also too that like this thought comes to my mind of like, well, how often do I really need to brag about how well this whole California thing is working out? And how often do I need to sort of like rub it into other people's faces that I'm, you know, doing these awesome things and seeing these awesome places. And this story of how my pictures might be perceived, the stories people might tell about themselves or how it might separate me a little more from uh, people who feel connected to me. If they don't think that they can travel like that or go to places like that, or if they feel in some way hindered. So I have these incredible pictures and I didn't share them because I was afraid of what people would think. I didn't give myself permission to be unapologetically publicly happy because what if that seems a little too happy? What if that seems a little too braggadocious? What if that seems a little too rubbing it in people's noses and rubbing it in people's faces? And it occurs to me as I talk to you about this and share this kind of mindset and real-time experience with you is that I also shared when I was on the bathroom floor of the Logan Airport bathroom, I did a podcast episode about that and talked about about not being able to get up off the floor. So terrified of the move, so afraid of what was going to happen on the other side, having no faith, no belief that my life was going to get better from this. Like the bathroom floor might have been as good as it was going to get for me. And this idea that, sure, I get to share these awesome places I go to. Sure, I get to share that I'm happy because you know what? My husband was hit by a bus and had a spinal cord injury and life isn't always rosy. So if I'm going to preach about holding both and holding the good with the bad, I have to give myself permission to share the good. Even though I know some people are going to look at those posts and feel a little bit bad. How do I know that? Because in 2015, when my husband was sick and I was sitting in ICU, scrolling through Facebook, waiting for him to sort of wake up from his drug-induced state, I saw everybody going on vacation. I was keeping count of the people who visited us and the people who didn't visit us. I knew who was showing up for me, who wasn't showing up for me. And I was sitting in that feeling of watching other people have their lives while mine was in a pile of suck. I can't have that experience and not know that I'm causing that experience or at least the very least risking the cause of that experience for other people by sharing my happy. But what happens if I don't give myself permission to land unhappy for 10 seconds, to share my happy, where the only thing we have permission to share is the struggle. The only time we have permission to put ourselves out there is when it sucks. We learn to scan for the crap. We learn to scan for the broken parts, the missing pieces, the parts that aren't working, and we never hold on to the good. If we don't give ourselves permission, permission to celebrate the good, to be grateful for the good, to lean into the good. We have no reserves for when it turns into a gigantic pile of suck. We've got nothing to lean on. But I, I don't get there until I give myself permission to share and to talk 
and to acknowledge that right now, my life is not, in fact, in a period of suck. It's actually working out quite well. Our move to California was affirmed like 10 times over this weekend because we went to these state parks that had more handicap accessible trails than we've ever encountered in a state or national park. I heard my husband say to me, I never imagined that I was going to get to be in the woods again. And why don't I give myself permission to celebrate that? Why don't I give myself permission to lean into that happy and to see where it can take me just because other people might feel bad. This idea of permission, this idea of being our biggest, boldest, best selves, does that resonate with you? Have you given yourself permission to be your biggest, boldest, best self? Have you given yourself permission to show up? If you have a pile of talent, a pile of potential, and you are choosing not to use it because you haven't given yourself permission to, then what's the natural consequence of that? What's the story you create when somebody has a talent and they're choosing not to use it or share it? What's your story when someone has an ability to transform other people's lives and says, uh, I'm actually kind of out of the transforming lives business. I've done enough. I've shown up enough. I'm good now. What's the flip side story to that version of events? We keep, I think, waiting for permission. We keep waiting for somebody else to say good enough. And if that's you, I just want to tell you permission granted. I give you permission. Whatever it is you want for yourself, whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, you have got to make darn sure you're taking action, that you're doing the thing. And if you're not, because you're waiting for permission, then here's your sign, my friends. Here's your permission. Take it and do something with it. And if you are getting stuck in figuring that out, if you can't get out of your own damn way, stop listening to this podcast passively and consider hiring me. Reach out to me. Find me over at Heather at choose to have it all.com. I have offerings for all kinds of investment levels and point price levels that can meet pretty much any budget, but it starts with a request for my help. And then I can meet you halfway, find you on the other side, and get you where you want to go. I'm going to be including a link to a discovery introductory call. You and I can get to one, know one another and see if we might be a good fit so that you can take this permission and fly. Thanks so much for joining me today. I look forward to talking to you next time. Bye for now.